Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is September the 20th, 2019. Strong hand, be a unique beast, value your wealth in Bitcoin. Unconfiscatable, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Offended by selling, best guest in the space. Don't FOMO on altcoins. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about that. But yeah, we got the best guest space in the space here. We got Guy Swan, we got Christian, who I just saw in person, and we've got Jeff Vandrew here, baby. And uh, yeah, we got three guys on the show again. So pound that like button, This Week in Bitcoin, here we are. Let's just jump into the crypto side of things. We're gonna get into the, the uh, big financial markets in a second. But I, I, I'm, gonna th I'm gonna toss it into Christian here. I was gonna start with Jeff, but I'm gonna start with Christian. Christian, is it alt season again? You've been traveling around the world. Have people trying to pump you up on alts because alts have pumped like the last four days? What's up with that, Christian? Uh, I don't think it's alt, alt season. I actually think uh, everything is probably going to go down soon, but not financial advice. Uh, I don't know. Like people, people are going to try to pump this stuff up. It's not alt season until prolonged, like you know, gains. Just a few days. I don't. I don't buy it. All right. All right. You're not, you're not pumped on the alts. You're not FOMOing on alts. Good. That's one of my sayings. Okay, Guy Swan, what have you heard on the streets? Yeah, so I think, I mean, just like Christian said, four days, I think that's a stretch. Um, like every once in a while you go through, particularly if it's been flat for a while, you're going to have those spikes up. Now, I'm not because the hype cycle was so ridiculous in 2017, I'm not even leaving it completely out of the realm of possibility that there is another alt season, even though I think it doesn't make any sense. I didn't think the first one made any sense. So, um, but I don't think it will look like it did last time. I don't think it will be a, oh, a rising tide raises all, you know, ships or whatever. Um, like, I don't think, I, I don't know. This is not it though. This is just... <laughs> There are so many people that I know that I have talked to are like looking desperately for a avenue, like, like an opportunity to get out that any kind of like sustained growth is just going to be met with people so happy that they can finally dump that I don't, I think we're a long way from anything on that front. All right, Jeff, how about you? Uh, we're going to talk about this more later in the show, but I think it's just a symptom of, you know, when interest rates get too low, it's the riskiest investments that sometimes in the short term see the money pour in because when nothing is, you know, generating any yield, those dollars have to go somewhere. So a lot of times it's the sketchiest, riskiest investments in the very short term, which is a category in which I'd put altcoins that see the biggest benefit. So yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the financial markets. Interest rates were just cut. What is, what is going on here, Jeff? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, I think this is the first time that I can remember in my life where our politicians have been pretty open about the fact that the stock market is just easily manipulable by the central bank. You know, one of the things I've talked about a lot over time in various outlets is I don't think that our stock market actually conveys meaningful price information anymore at all because i think it's just so uh beholden to you know central bank action that we're just really not getting any meaningful you know price uh data price communication via the market at all so i think you know what's happened is we've seen the president just sort of blatantly admit this and put pressure on the central bank to keep rates low because it helps uh short-term political force and that uh, I'm not even being critical of that action because if you're, if you're in the current system that we have today, which is the system that they all have to operate in, all of our politicians, you'd be stupid not to do that. I mean, he's basically just the first guy that's been smart enough to take that sort of action. So, you know, I think that's, that's my basic perspective on what's going on here, at least on the U.S. level. Now, uh, Europe is talking negative rates, doing negative rates. Are we going to see negative rates in the United States? Are we, is it eventually going to um, spill into the consumer market? Will banks charge negative rates on savings accounts? It's, my guess would be there's a definite possibility 
possibility that we, we could see it in retail markets, but usually most big proponents of negative interest rates, and believe it or not, there are a lot of people who not only say we shouldn't be afraid of negative interest rates, but that they're a really good, elegant solution to a lot of problems. Usually when those type of people make proposals, there is some sort of a de minimis cutoff that eliminates most retail accounts from the negative rate. So for something like, you know, it might even be something like the FDIC deposit uh, limit where the first $250,000 of deposits are not subject to negative rates. You'll probably see the negative rates, at least for a long time, only applied to very large deposits, um, which mostly are going to end up being corporate, uh, you know, bank deposits. All right. All right. Very good. Uh, there was something else I was going to ask about the, uh, the uh, negative rate situation. So yeah, Europe is already, oh, what's it mean for Bitcoin? What, what, what do you see? All of this that's going on in the larger market, what's it, what's it mean for Bitcoin? I mean, everything's good for Bitcoin. Um, in the long term, in seriousness, in the long term, it is good for Bitcoin, right? Because it's, all of these things are accelerationist. And on some level, the current system has to, collapse is too strong of a word, but it has to have some, well, I use a weird, uh, weird way to phrase this. There has to be some level of crisis to the current system for Bitcoin to really start to take off. And a lot of us, including myself, hope that that isn't like a, a complete and total collapse. But regardless of how strong that sort of negative impact to our current financial system needs to be, uh, accelerationism like this moves us further in that direction. So I think, you know, certainly in the long term, this is good for Bitcoin. In the short term, we still don't know whether investors in general, sort of the broad scope of investors, see the value proposition of Bitcoin yet well enough to understand that Bitcoin is a hedge against these issues. And there's still a lot of investors that therefore may still see Bitcoin as a risk on asset. Uh, and therefore, in the short term, if there is you know, a shaking, a shaking of confidence in the market, there is certainly a possibility that Bitcoin could actually have short-term price declines. We just don't know yet whether the market at large has really started to no longer view Bitcoin as a risk on asset yet. But in the long term, definitely good. All right, everyone, pound that like button. Guy Swan, you, I think you retweeted this. Someone retweeted this. The Fed will print an additional $75 billion to correct the lending market. That's $129 billion injected as an emergency. Within only a day, they will have printed nearly as much as the entire market cap of Bitcoin. Now, that might, some people argued about the, the entire numbers behind that, but I, I, I get the point. The, the Fed is uh, playing with tremendous numbers here that, uh, that uh, are similar to what Bitcoin is worth right now. So, guys, so what is your take on all this? Yeah, uh, the, just the fact that, like, like in a comparison of market size, it's, it's pretty extraordinary to think that. Um, like th that's the amount of money just in an overnight, like, cause I think, uh, uh, the overnight interest rates like shot up to like 5% or something like that. Um, I even saw it somebody say something from what I was it 10%. Yeah. Very God, briefly like it think... shot up as high as 10%. And they, we still, I sorry to cut you off, man, but we still actually don't know yeah. why there's no like official explanation as to why there was that dry up in liquidity, but I'll, uh, that's, go to it. See, that's so that's so crazy though. That it just shows how unbelievably fragile everything is. Like it's sitting on like the thinnest of ice with cracks everywhere. And they're just having to constantly throw money to smother the fire. And obviously, you know, you end up putting more fuel on it down the road. Um, and, and just like Vandrew said, the, um, like you can't. I, I, there's no way that it doesn't eventually go negative because there's no way out except a massive correction. So I, I don't see how it doesn't reach that point, even if it's, you know, the U S is one of the last ones to get there. Um, and uh, we've already got, what was it? I think, I think the number was like 15 some odd trillion dollars of negative yielding um, uh, like bonds and stuff now. I mean, just, like the whole, the whole space, the fact that this is being normalized is absolutely insane that we're, we're totally just accepting and pretending it's, it's completely legitimate to have someone have the ability to consume, to consume scarce resources and get paid to do so. Like that's, 
that's absolutely nuts. Like we could not have it more backwards. And uh, while I think like Bitcoin is like, like you said, still seen as a uh, really risky asset, I think in the long term, it's just going to be this obvious elephant in the room for everything that they try to do for like just just bringing up that question like why is there no yield some like everywhere why do we have to constantly dump all of our money into these crappy nonsensical projects like uh like uh, jeff was talking about and like overinflate all this stuff because people are so desperate for yield they're desperate for like a real place to park their money um so i don't know it's crazy it's, a, it's, it's a just shame. crazy it's a shame they haven't uh real they haven't discovered bitcoin yet I'm glad we've got the insider information here. I think the uh, Fed will be able to keep on uh, doing this. Uh, we, we've got a lot of uh, blind uh, people out there. They'll just be like happy mm -hmm. with whatever they do, I, I think. But at least we know the right direction to go in. Christian, what's, what's up with you and this whole uh, situation? So kind of to add on to what Guy was saying and how insane the, the negative yields are, and uh, especially in the bond market, that's kind of where it's happening first. And I, I've been thinking about this and when I was in Riga talking to a lot of people about this and it, this idea kind of came into my head that the bond market is literally turning into a Ponzi scheme. The only way it's profitable if there's negative yield, yields on the bond, which means that you pay them to buy the bond, um, is if you're expecting the interest rates to go further down so that way your negative bond is less negative yielding than the newer ones and therefore it will appreciate so that way you can sell it. So it's literally a Ponzi scheme waiting, um, waiting for, you know, yields to go lower and for you to dump uh, your negative yields on, uh, you know, the, the, whoever the present buyer is. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty crazy. And I think that as Bitcoin gains its Lindy, um, it, we've already, we're already seeing it now that it's actually being injected into the conversation on like serious financial um, investing podcasts, pretty much on the news every day on CNBC and other uh, things. We're seeing books all the time. So I think we are experiencing people becoming aware of this and it becoming very obvious. And uh, I would not be surprised in, in the next few years uh, if people seriously consider Bitcoin. Did you guys see uh, Travis Kling on uh, CNN? That's I, that yeah. clip. I saw. I saw someone tweet. I didn't watch it actually. What did he? What did he say? Uh, he literally did uh, one of the <laughs> most succinct, like two and a half or three minute explanation of Bitcoin as hard money, uh, essentially insurance on all of this negative yielding, like interest and uh, the the huge debt imbalance that we have to deal with. Um, uh, he hit like a lot of the like main like Austrian ideas and the fact that it was immutable. I mean, it was, it was the, it was an incredibly succinct, like almost Bitcoin maximalist narrative um, in an, in an open discussion on CNN that I don't know. I just, I just didn't expect to see it. Even when I see it on like CNBC, it's usually buried under a lot of layers of ignorance, but his level of having discovered it for himself just really surprised me. And then the fact that it was immediately accepted as a legitimate argument, like a, as a real position, which I think anything like, like six, six years ago, it would have just gotten laughed out of the room. Like, uh, like the, the whole perspective on all this is changing because I think there's this, there's this thing in the back of a lot of people's minds. It's like something is so broken here. Like it can't work like this. And so the discussion is getting wider and Bitcoin is making its way into the edges of all of these discussions. And it just, it blows my mind that uh, what did that you think, was. What did you think about CNN having this crypto crazy week? They, they had, I think it was five days in a row, they had cryptocurrency people on, like the guy you spoke of. This, is, this was a new thing that you're talking, you, you know, off air, you, you brought up how younger people, uh, they, they think differently about economics. Well, now, uh, older people are getting exposed to Bitcoin also. Do you, do you have any, any thoughts that they were, they were actually talking about this on CNN, which is kind of crazy if you would have told me four years ago? Uh, that's funny. I didn't know about um, like CNN Bitcoin week. If I see something on CNN, it's because somebody shared it on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have any news. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. And particularly like with the younger generations, 
Um, there's, there's a lot like Bitcoin magazine actually just had a article, um, about, uh, a Paxful survey and somebody else doing a survey. And, and I think as like, particularly as we like, there, there are 10, 11 year old kids right now that have never lived in a world without Bitcoin. And as that extends forward, like it doesn't matter what the higher, like the, the, uh, earlier generations, older generations actually get in terms of education because those generations in 10 years when those kids are 20 years old there it's not even going to be a question in fact in the the survey they talked about it was like uh they generally would like like gen zers and millennials um had an incredibly high proportion of people that are totally open to investing in bitcoin and currencies and it was actually getting up to similar percentages. I think it was like, like low 20s or something, whereas digital avenues were like in the 30s, like 33, 37%, like depending on what they were asking about. Um, but, uh, but that it's getting a comparable, um, essentially, I don't know, the, a, a comparable perception from the, uh, from the younger generations. And that's always going to be on the table. And I think the narrative is going to completely change when there are people getting into that age group where they're the ones dominating the next run of investments, when they're the ones deciding what the next big companies are going to be. And Bitcoin has just always been there. Bitcoin is just obvious as a contender. And there might be a bunch of 13, 14, 15 year olds who can't get a bank account, but they, they're going to buy stuff online. So something is going to fill that need somewhere and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is really the only avenue for a lot of them. So I think, I don't know, there, there's going to be a hell of a foundation in five or six years oh, for yeah, man. a major move into the mainstream. I like it. 2028 having strong hand people, those 10 year olds today, <laughs> they won't be buying gold in 2028. That'll be talking about that 2028 having pound that like button. All right, I want to go back to uh, Jeff real quick to a previous uh, subject matter. And you could, Jeff, if you have something else you want to bring up, bro, uh, that, that you've been meaning to say, you can say it. But my question is, what did happen the other night when they had to inject that money into, uh, <laughs> when the Fed had to do that? Inject? What, what was, what happened? For reasons that, you know, us being average slubs in, in finance terms will never know, um, probably. There's a lot of theories about this kind of thing. There, there's an issue where banks tend to lend to each other overnight. So, you know, the whole financial system essentially relies upon this. And I'm just giving you my understanding of what happened as best I know, and I'll go into what we don't know. But these banks all have to lend overnight and to each other. And typically, a part of that are the fact that U.S. Treasury dealers, um, when they purchase treasuries from the federal government, they don't have necessarily all the cash on hand to do that, nor do they need it in their mind because they turn around and resell those treasuries. They're a dealer um, in this case. So they're also borrowing um, you know, within this sort of market of very, very short-term funds. So these are, these are like loans that are like eight or 12 hours we're talking about here. Um, so these are typically very, very, very low interest loans. Um, among very, very, very credit worthy parties, right? So like, in other words, if there's any sort of loan that should bear a very low rate of interest, this is it. Because it's all giant institutions that all know each other, lending to each other over very, very short timeframes. Um, and for reasons that I have not yet heard a great explanation, uh, there was just a shortage of lenders the other night. Um, and as a result, because there was such a shortage of lenders, the interest rates shot up to insane levels and the Federal Reserve had to step in and sort of act as that lender of last resort. It's sort of a bizarre situation. And as I said, as to why specifically a couple nights ago this happened, I have not heard, you know, I don't work in the finance industry, so I don't have any insider information and I haven't heard anything all that persuasive as to why this happened. So it remains a mystery, but I do... Thank you for clarifying that. So everyone does kind of, there's all sorts of rumors going on and stuff. So we don't exactly know, but there you go. Okay, moving back into uh, the land of uh, pure crypto here. I want to ask uh, Christian, since you've been traveling the world, you might have a uh, opinion on this tweet by Vinnie Langham. 
DeFi is clearly going to be the catalytic wave for the next phase of the crypto evolution. So is, is DeFi the big catalyst of the next uh, of the next phase of the crypto evolution? What's up with this DeFi? I've been hearing a lot about this lately, Christian. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> before I answer that question, I kind of wanted to add on to uh, what Jeff was saying. And uh, he said that there wasn't really an explanation, but I think that this is a great example of just how fragile the current system is. Like any small thing could happen and then the Fed has to step in. Um, so, uh, you know, the system currently is just kind of built on on sand and, uh, you know, the house is going to fall at some point. Um, and speaking of being built on sand, that kind of seems what DeFi is built on as well. Um, I do a podcast with... Uh, a big Ethereum person, David Hoffman at Trustless State podcast called POV Crypto, but essentially it's the Bitcoin versus Ethereum podcast. And DeFi might be the most overly pumped thing you can imagine. Um, if anything, the only thing Ethereum is being used for is a Ponzi scheme and Tether. And Tether is being used to buy Bitcoin. So ETH is only strictly being used to trade Bitcoin. That is the only use case for ETH if you extrapolate that out. Uh, DeFi has a tiny, tiny amount of volume and usage on Ethereum, and it's quickly becoming extremely expensive for all the Ethereum enthusiasts to play on DeFi because Tether is increasing the gas fee so high on Ethereum. So uh, we're seeing that ETH1 is having all of these issues um, and that, you know, Tether and other kind of like centralized bad actors, quote unquote, um, are dumping uh, their usage onto the Ethereum block space and, and really congesting Ethereum and making it difficult for these DeFi apps to, to act. Um, in terms of Vinny's comments, Vinny says shit like this all the time. So, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to respond. Like, uh, this is not the first time he said something very bullish about some other altcoin thing. It seems like he's always going with whatever the trend is. Uh, and that's probably why a lot of people consider him a counter indicator. So I don't know. Personally, I think Vinny is probably smart and malicious, aka he's a scammer and he's just trying to dump his bags. But uh, you could also consider him incompetent. It just depends on your perspective. Yeah, well, couldn't, couldn't we just, didn't he all, uh, uh, also say that Civic, uh, before he kind of like just stopped saying or talking about it at all, because, you know, it, lost people millions and millions of dollars was going to revolutionize yeah, decentralized yeah. identity like that was the most garbage coin ever <laughs> well he's he made a lot of money he's still talking yeah, he about he's still talking about the uh i mean it's his thing the civic is his thing he's still talking about the identity aspect of it a lot um Dave, christian you're you're bold there man he's right down the road for you man you gotta be <laughs> you, you'll run into it. I mean, he was at the event we were at in San Francisco and I, I met you, Christian, a long time ago. All right, DeFi. So wait, wait, let, let's, since we had a guy chime in there, what is up with the, uh, what is up with DeFi in your mind? Man, I, I don't know. There might be something there in just like a new use case for, and, or, or like kind of a new business model in an old industry, like just in the idea of finance and expanding a little bit. But in, in the context of like using Ethereum or like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really skeptical. It sounds like I don't know enough about it really to say anything. All I, all I hear is kind of the hype around it, but it just sounds like, it just sounds like the old narrative has died and it's not working for them anymore. So like we gotta we gotta grab on to the next one that's gonna, you know, bring that money in. Um, so until I see something real, uh, I'm not it's just it's just noise to me. And, and add on to that, I think it's actually really simple to see why DeFi doesn't work. Um, lending, right, is based on trust. The entire foundation of lending is you trust the person that you lend the money to. <laughs> to pay you back. And there's different ways you can do that, either because you have a personal relationship with the borrower or because you've evaluated their trustful, their trustworthiness, which is basically what we call credit, you know, someone's credit score in a, in a retail environment through some other subjective means. So it doesn't make sense to take something where the whole foundation of this activity is trust and try to move it to a decentralized trustless model. That's crazy. You're 
it's just not what a decentralized trustless model is built for. All right, there's there, there's your Ethereum segment of the show this week, guys. Hey, I'm I'm giving you the news. I mean, being here in Israel uh, this this past week was Blockchain Week, and there was a lot. I mean, there are a lot of people that believe in Ethereum. There are a lot of people building on it. Uh, I will see say this. So we will we'll have to see how this all uh, how this all turns out. Something is going to happen. It's, it's either going to work or it's, there's going to be a major fail and a lot of people really disappointed. Nah, I, I don't know. But yeah, Vinny's talking some, that's a big claim on his part there, what he just said. It's going to be the catalyst of the next uh, part of the crypto revolution. It's, I mean, we, we, we shall see. It will be, I mean, I, I've got my popcorn and I got my Bitcoin because yeah, that's, that's what I, I'm just, I'm watching it. Got not, I, I don't have a horse in the Ethereum race, man. That's, that's why Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. And we shall see about the, the future of Ethereum here. Okay, so moving on to uh, what are some other matters here that I have written down? Uh, Christian, you talked about, uh, well, Christian, you, you've, been, you've been traveling around the world here. What, what has this week brought you uh, in terms of uh, in just, just meeting so many people? I and mean, where have you been? Yeah, so I actually recently saw both. Uh, uh, both Guy and Jeff uh, here too in Dallas and and in San Francisco. So uh, since, since Bitcoin 2019, this past June, I've had the opportunity and privilege to go to pretty much every Bitcoin conference so far. Uh, I'm done now, but <laughs> I recently went to uh, Baltic Honey Badger in Riga as well as Scaling Bitcoin where I saw Adam in Tel Aviv. Uh, so it's been an epic ride and I can't believe I get paid to do this. So uh it, it was definitely very fun and uh thank you to bitcoin magazine for making it possible uh but uh you know really just been seeing a ton of amazing people a lot of great uh speakers uh riga i really really enjoyed um just the vibe as well as um you know how many great people were getting on stage and talking uh so you know could not say how, you know better things about baltic honey badger is really fantastic um and in general bitcoiners are just amazing uh, so I always enjoy hanging out with Bitcoiners and it's a great way to spend a weekend. So highly recommend going to, uh, to a legitimate Bitcoin event anytime. They're always amazing, whether it's big or small. All right. So there, there's a positive note. Now we're going to get into it with Jeff about something that some people don't think is very positive. Jeff is a, he's an accountant. He's a lot of things. So since I have him on the show, why not ask him about the IRS situation that everybody likes to ask me? Now, again, that, the letters were sent out weeks ago now. But uh, Jeff, can you give us a, a, an update on that situation? Yeah, and a, a you know, quick disclaimer, I'm an attorney, a tax attorney and a CPA, but I'm not any of your tax attorney or CPA. So consult with your own tax advisor. That said, if you got one of these letters that came in the mail from the IRS a few weeks back, um, just one thing I always tell everyone is not to freak out about it. Everyone whose name popped up in the Coinbase John Doe subpoena got one of these. And these are, part of a broader category of notices that we in the industry tend to refer to as IRS soft notices. And what a soft notice means is it's not a notice that you per se have to respond to. It's sort of the IRS just sending you a letter saying, hey, you may owe some additional tax here. Maybe you didn't claim this stuff. Take a look back at your return and see if you did it right. If you didn't, file an amendment. If you did everything right, you don't have to do anything. And that's why it's a soft notice. It doesn't necessarily require a response. In fact, most of the time it doesn't require a response. And in fact, receiving it doesn't put you on any sort of a special list of particularly suspicious people. It just means you're someone that may perhaps have to have a higher chance than normal of needing to go back, take a look and amend your return. Um, so if you got one of these notices, go back, look at the return, see if you claimed your stuff. If you didn't, contact your tax advisor, file an amendment. No big deal. All right. Uh, Guy, I know you wanted to mention uh, Edward Snowden. Yeah, I just, uh, I was curious to get uh, everybody else's opinion on this, to be honest, um, because he's, his uh, new book, uh, Permanent Record, um, is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's coming out, and uh, it's a Macmillan, uh, Macmillan uh, publishing or whatnot, and um, supposedly he has a, like his non-disclosure and stuff agreements with both the CIA and the NSA. Um, well, obviously he's been violating it since 
since anybody knew who the name Snowden was. Um, but now they're, they're going after him and trying to sue him over the rights to the book because of the, uh, or sue him over any ability to like make profit from this as a violation of the non-disclosure agreement. Um, uh, just because they're supposed to, he's supposed to send all information to the CIA and the NSA so that they can mark out anything that he's not supposed to include. Like, like Snowden's going to do that. Um, but uh, it's just a really interesting dynamic. And supposedly a part, as part of the agreement, he's not allowed to make royalties off of anything. Like anything where he talks about like the CIA or the NSA, even if it's like fiction, that supposedly he's like, like permanently for the rest of his life, he's just not able to make royalties off of that. So I, I don't, I don't know. It sounds like they're going to be going after the publisher rather than Snowden. And then everybody on Twitter is like, set up a BTC pay server. We'll buy your book under the table. Like I'd love to, I'd love to get a copy. So it's funny. It, it may very well, it may very well, very well one of those things where it just proves the use case of Bitcoin that like, it kind of laughing in the face of like, oh yeah, you're going to control the market. Well, we're just going to print it ourselves and ship it out and everybody's going to uh, use Bitcoin. Well, so I just think it's a really funny dynamic. Yeah. I mean, I can, if you guys want, I can give a little background on the legal reasons why they're going after the publisher and what the attack mm -hmm. vectors are here. So the issue would be, you know, Bitcoin or no Bitcoin, R uh, Snowden's in Russia. Russia is probably not going to enforce a U.S. judgment against him. So their only angle to try and get at these proceeds is to, uh, you know, take action against the publisher. The publisher either, I don't, I don't know if the publisher specifically is headquartered in the United States, but whether they're headquartered in the U.S. or they have offices in the U.S. or whatever, uh, the court system of the United States is going to have jurisdiction over the publisher. So that's why you would go after the, the, the publisher in this case. So even if he were to start accepting Bitcoin for the books, it really wouldn't matter because the publisher would still be subject to the U.S. courts and the government could get paid that way. Really, the thing is he would have to start, you know, from a legal perspective, selling the book directly without the publisher's involvement to really get this off. Because then, you know, he's in Russia, so they can't come knock down his door and, you know, hold him in jail for contempt of court. Uh, and then he, and the publisher, you know, they're not involved, so they wouldn't be an attack vector either. So that's really what, you know, the issue is going to be in terms of the royalties and the financial end of this. Um, you know, for instance, if he was accepting fiat, but selling without a publisher. Yeah. So if he had been selling in fiat, even if he didn't have a publisher in the U S and was selling directly to the consumer, the issue would be that the U.S. court system would still have jurisdiction over Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, or even if he wasn't taking credit cards and he was just accepting, uh, you know, dollars over ACH or something, whatever banking payment rail was transmitting in the funds, the U.S. court system would easily get jurisdiction over it and uh, get to uh, be able to stop those payments. So in order to sell directly to the consumer in this situation, he'd both have to not have the publisher involved and be selling essentially with Bitcoin directly to the consumer. All right. All right. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, Christian, do you have any thoughts on the Edward Snowden? Uh, could be expected and excited to see what happens next. Excited to see if he goes hard onto Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and continues trying to sell the book. Um, but yeah, uh, popcorn and just waiting. Uh, I just feel like, you know, there's just dominoes hap effects happening and, um, you know, things are going to continue going in Bitcoin's way. Awesome. Uh, I, Jeff, I wanted to, so before the show, you uh, talked about the craziness over at WeWork, their IPO <laughs> and it's how it's related to the, uh, crazy financial situation of the world today. Uh, talk about that some. WeWork being a unicorn is really the same phenomenon as an altcoin pump, right? I mean, uh, where when yields get low, dollars have to chase some crazy investments just to maintain their value or grow. And I think WeWork is a good example of this. You have a company that has all these insanely wacky stories about how it's managed. Like it just came out this week that the CEO's wife, if she would talk to you and you were an employee and she got a bad vibe, the CEO would fire you even after a five minute conversation or just a seemingly innocent conversation and just 
other bizarre things about the management team trafficking drugs uh, interstate or internationally in their jets. I mean, they were using it for recreational use, not for resale, but still that's obviously a major felony um, on, you know, on a company jet, things like that. Just an example of, you know, just like altcoins pump when yields go down because the, those investments have to find somewhere where they can get some yield. It's the same thing with these companies. Uh, you'll see unicorns get made that seemingly have no business at all being unicorns. Ouch. <laughs> all right. Uh, Guy, you wanted to bring up, uh, you wanted to bring up the youth again. You had something to say. Yeah. Yeah. So um, really right along those same lines with the whole, we work in the, the, I think it's a great analogy to say that it's a lot of these like crap stocks that are um, like having huge explosive like IPOs and stock valuations that make no sense whatever, whatsoever is really very analogous to the whole altcoin bubble. Um, and it's people again, like looking for yield in a, in a, literally a global market that is non-existent of it, like because our imbalances are so bad. But in conjunction with that, and then you've got these things like the financial cracks that just an overnight lending that takes the, takes the, the interest rate from 2% to 10% in a matter of hours. Like, that's not a small move. That's a huge move in the interest rate in a matter of hours. So we're getting an insane level of volatility because it's obvious that we're sitting on cracks in our financial system and that we've built all this on top of sand. So traditional assets that have seemed safe and secure and slow moving for ages and the stock market in general is going to get more and more volatile as we move into uh, the deeper and sort of the back end of these imbalances starting to play themselves out. And with the Paxful survey, um, with the Bitcoin Magazine article, they talked about what were the biggest hindrances for the younger generations, for the millennials, for the Gen Zs, um, uh, for investing in those versus traditional assets. And uh, the top concerns actually were not like education or like understanding it, which is probably just a, uh, it's probably just a result of ignorance, not the fact that they don't, it's probably just that they don't think they need to understand it, not that they actually get it. But uh, that's actually an indication that they just see it as like a part of the market. So it's not really important. Um, but so that was like a 14%. But in the 30% range, their biggest concerns were volatility and uh, lack of trust. And when you start to introduce a lack of trust into the traditional supposedly safe markets, and then at the same time, we have this incredible underlying, like going to sneak up on you at any moment volatility in the safe traditional markets. Well, Bitcoin doesn't look a whole lot different except for the fact that it's going up and has lots of yield. So I think the, that narrative is going to shift a lot when the safe havens look just as risky as all the alternatives. Um, so I don't know, I just thought it was funny that those two big concerns were the reason they supposedly uh, invest in uh, traditional markets when those two big concerns are literally what is falling apart in the traditional markets. Well, I, I hope they uh, realize, they'll realize it one day. Well, the, the 20% oh, yeah. smart ones will at least, uh, uh, I mean, some people just uh, blindly do what you know their parents did or what they think is the right thing to do. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, all right, uh, Christian, I wanna ask you about, uh, uh, well, I, I think uh, I'll ask everyone about this, but uh, you've probably heard. VanX, SolidX, they uh, withdrew their ETF uh, application. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what's, that's, that's what's going on. Uh, is that a big deal, Christian? Or So I think that both Jeff and Guy probably are better to ask this question to. But generally speaking, from my understanding, uh, a couple weeks ago, they had announced that they're going to create a similar product to GBTC, which is what uh, Digital Currency Group does. And that is a product that you, a lot of people can get on like Fidelity or something like that. Um, and uh, It's not an ETF, but it's some other form of investable Bitcoin product. It usually has a premium. Um, so I think that because they announced that they're doing that, it kind of makes sense that once again, they're going to pull this thing back. It seems like this is kind of political 
like this process seems very political instead of um, an objective process. So I don't really know exactly, you know, what all of this means and how they're trying to play this game. Um, it seems like Van Neck is our friend and they are friends of Bitcoin. And I like what uh, Gabor says on Twitter. So, um, I'm, you know, I think that they're doing their best to bring this product to the market. Um, so we'll see, you know, how and when it's going to happen. It seems like there's a lot of demand for it. Um, so, yeah. We'd love a, to hear what Jeff and Guy want to say. Oh man, that was a good take on the situation, man. <laughs> Jeff, what do you what do you have to say? So, uh, yeah, I agree. Christian's mostly on point there. Absolutely. Um, Vanex product, the way I understand it, is a little bit different from GPTC, although they're structurally pretty much the same. When I say different, just different in their target market. So, GBTC is a sort of a closed end fund, which as Christian says, means it actually typically trades at a premium to just holding Bitcoin yourself. But the reason, the primary driver of GBTC adoption is because it's available on platforms like Fidelity, uh, retail investors can buy it easily without having to understand Bitcoin. And it also means they can buy it on those platforms within the context of an IRA or 401k or other retirement account. Very briefly, a bit of shameless self-promotion for myself. I offer a product where you can buy Bitcoin in your IRA or other retirement account, hold the keys yourself, not have to deal with GBTC and not pay a premium. So hit me up on Twitter if that sounds good to you. Moving on to the, uh, the VanEck uh, situation. VanEck's product, the target market is a little bit different in that it's only going to be available to institutions. So VanEck's current product, even if you have, even if you want to buy into it, uh, it's going to be limited to large institutions. So it's a different target, and those institutions, it really does make sense for them because they typically, under their own regulations, would not be allowed oftentimes to custody their own Bitcoin. Um, that would be too high of a liability for them. So for those sorts of organizations, I think the VanEck. Uh, product that they are in fact coming out with makes sense. And it's notable to keep in mind that even when VanEck ETF product was, the application was still pending before they withdrew it, the VanEck ETF was not a retail ETF. Um, they were going to set the share price high enough such that it would only be available to large institutions. So in that respect, there's really no change. They, their approach, and I don't know anybody at VanEck, but what their approach seems to have be from all the public information that I have is that they first really want to nail this sort of thing down as an institutional product before they even think about moving in a retail investor direction. All right. But now ETF talk you know, through social media, Bitcoin social media, it's been so huge over the last two years. I say we're just a day closer to someone finally getting this thing off, the, getting a real ETF off the ground. Christian says it is political. I, I agree. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of politics behind this. Do you see someone pulling this off in 2020? Uh, I, I don't think the ETF actually matters at the retail level yeah. because I think before an ETF gets approved, uh, Ameritrade and or Fidelity are just going to offer direct custodying of Bitcoin in their normal everyday, you know, discount brokerage accounts. They're both working on it. Um, so that kind of almost makes an ETF moot. I mean, if Fidelity and Ameritrade do that, it's going to really lower the market for an ETF, right? Because a lot of people would just get in and out of Bitcoin, even if they don't want to hold their own keys using, uh, you know, when, once Fidelity and Ameritrade do it, presumably all the other discount brokers would follow. So I think it's more likely that we're going to see something like that before we see an ETF, just because it won't require as rigorous of a, you know, compliance issues, I guess I'll say. All right. Yeah. Guy, Guy Swan. Yeah, I, I was, uh, that was, that was my thought on the whole thing is that um, I think it was a really good like hype thing that everybody got super excited about. And, um, but really that, that whole that whole period has just died down and it's now kind of old news. Like I didn't even know about it until you were just talking about it. Um, and uh, it looks like backed is still moving forward. Um, Fidelity. I've been like trying to stay up to date because they put doing, I've been really surprised at how like technically proficient and um, how thorough they are in their understanding of Bitcoin and like what cryptocurrencies are actually used for. Um, 
And uh, Bitcoin is such a versatile asset being programmable. And with all these like shared custody like systems and the shared key stuff that is becoming more and more of a norm in like all my main wallets right now are all multi-sigs. Um, uh, except for Sats app, which talks to a multi-sig. <laughs> so um, it, it's like, it really is, the game is changing really quick. And I think, I think if it takes another year for an ETF to come out, we'll have alternatives that are better and more direct to the point that it, the market won't care. Um, I, I just like he said, you'll have custody with Fidelity and Ameritrade and every major one that's worth their salt um, that it just won't, it just won't matter. You'll have so many avenues that it's not important. All right. Yeah. It'll be a moot point. Like Jeff said, okay, well, we, we have reached the end here of the show, but everyone, I want to give everybody a chance to give their conclusionary remarks, bring up any stories they, uh, uh, didn't, they wanted to bring up again, all these guys are linked to below their, their Twitter. So you can investigate them, DM them and talk to them. We'll start with Christian. What's, what's up, man. Anything that got left out that you wanted to bring up, uh, uh, anything uh, out in San Francisco? How's Libra down uh, down in? Uh, <laughs> what's up over there, man? Adam, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Uh, you always get the best panel uh, together for Fridays, so uh, honored to be included yet again. Um, in terms of Libra, I think that they're showing wide decentralization because it seems like every government is targeting them. Uh, not much to say there except for a nice case study. Uh, and lastly, San Francisco is beautiful. I'm happy to be back and I hope to stay put for a little bit. Uh, but I think I hit everything I need to say. I think Adam gives the best advice. Strong hand, long-term thinking, buy the dip. All right, pound that like button, people. Long-term thinking, deferral of gratification. All right, uh, Jeff, what's up? Any thoughts? I didn't ask you about Libra, so I'll ask you about Libra too. Uh, well, all right. So before I get into that, I, one thing I do want to mention that didn't come up. So as I mentioned before, my day job is a product where you can hold Bitcoin in your IRA and hold your own keys, no markup. But I'm also involved as a volunteer in the BTC Pay server project, um, both as developer of plugins and the Python library for BTC Pay and also on BTC Pay's sort of newest project, which is the BTC Pay Foundation. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have gotten a chance to hear about that, but that's a way for businesses that rely on Bitcoin can actually provide sponsorship to the BTC Pay server development team, um, which really, really helps keeping BTC Pay server as a robust merchant solution and a robust, a robust non-custodial solution for accepting Bitcoin. Um, it's really important to keep in mind that a lot of these developers that work on BTC Pay, not me, my contributions to BTC Pay are pretty small, but a lot of these other guys work either full-time or nearly full-time on BTC Pay server. And until now, haven't been able to make any money off of it all. It's been entirely volunteer. So with the foundation, this gives away for businesses, and we really want to thank, of course, Square as the first business that made a grant to the BTC Pay Foundation. Um, can show their support for BTC Pay Server, and then that money ends up going to the developers um, that really make or what make BTC Pay great. So I really would have been remiss if I didn't mention that before we closed here for the day. Um, to go on to Libra, I, I think Libra's dead. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious the the European Union is not going to allow it in the EU, uh, and I think that's going to effectively, you know, for the most part, be the end of it um, unless they launch it on a much smaller scale only in developing nations. They could try and do something like that. Um, but even that would be difficult and would be a, maybe not the opportunity, not nearly as um, ambitious an opportunity as they were seeking. Wow. Well, I hadn't heard that about Libra yet. The very, very interesting. We will go uh, to Guy. You get the last word, man. Uh, yeah, that was uh, actually just read the blog um uh like yesterday about the square crypto um like grant to btc pay server and that was really awesome uh i, I had gotten forgotten that you were actually involved in that um but that's really cool i've been i've been trying to trying to follow that more closely and i still i still have not set up my own btc pay server i feel like a, a failure as a bitcoin maximalist um but uh yeah i just uh direct people to the show um if uh 
uh, if you want to hear, like I'm, I'm coming up on 300 quick reads now uh, for like Bitcoin articles and like essays and papers all around the space, like to make audiobook versions for them. Um, and I've finally, the library has gotten so big now that I've been going back and being like, oh, I need to refresh on like some old lightning stuff or like topics around like uh, energy, uh, energy conservation or the cost of energy and proof of work and stuff. So I'll, I will go back and I can't remember, you know, 300, I mean, how many hundreds, maybe even a thousand hours worth of content now. Um, so I've been going back and listening myself for the first time in the last couple of weeks and it's been kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the crypto economy podcast. And also I uh, will gladly accept recommendations. I, I love it when somebody finds an article that I didn't know about so I can read because I read all, all the Bitcoin things and I just, I just want to have, I want to have the best collection out there, uh, uh, manageable. So yeah, just direct people there. Yeah, man, you are definitely in motion. It's a very original idea that you have that you just read the articles, you read it. And people can live because a lot yeah. of people can't, they can't read anymore. So they're better, they're better with the listening comprehension and you put it all out there. I think it's a really, it's a really original idea and it, it's, it serves a great, uh, it serves a, a great need in the community. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on the show, by the way, man. Uh, this, this was great. And uh, I've had, I've had a lot of fun both yeah. times now. I thank, I thank all of you for returning to the show. You're, none of you are rookies. You've all been here before. It's great to have a veteran panel. It's great to have this combo. I had no idea that you all met up beforehand uh, in, in Dallas or something like that. You all ready? That's great. That's awesome, man. It's a small world out here. But hey, it's the best guest in the space. We do this show every Friday, of course. I do a new show every single day here on the Bitcoin Meister channel. Friday is the This Week in Bitcoin show. Saturday is the Beyond Bitcoin show. So you'll see me there very soon. Uh, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, Meister. Remember to subscribe to the channel, like this video, share this video, pound that like button, bang that bell button. Shabbat shalom. See you all later Saturday. Bye-bye. See ya.